For today's episode, I'd like to highlight the work of a fantastic industry charity. The film and TV charity supports people in the UK film and TV industry at every stage of their career and beyond. From their important work on mental health, which led to the creation of the Whole Picture Programme, and their help for crew being affected by COVID-19. If you, a member of your family or a friend who works in the industry, needs help or someone to talk to, please go to filmtvcharity.org.uk. Let's get started. Hola, film family. I'm Isusko, your host, a.k.a. The Time Scheduler. Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline, and the whole team. And wherever you're listening, I hope you enjoy. Big love. So, hello, film family. Um, a lot of things are happening in the film industry at the minute that um, predominantly bad, and we're all in a bit of the same situation. Um, so for today's podcast, I'm not going to interview someone that works on the floor, um, but I'm hoping it's someone that we can all take some knowledge from and some expertise from about what he does, and hopefully we can all take it on and it be useful for our own personal lives. So hello, thank you for coming on the podcast. What is your name and what do you do, sir? Uh, my name is Tim <coughs> Holt, and I'm an innovation coach. Woo! Right, so let's get straight into it. What does that mean? Exactly. One of those new job titles, which, you know, usually comes with inverted commas. Innovation <laughs> coach. Um, so what does an innovation coach, what does a coach do, first of all? Um, your life coach or exec coach or performance coach or any of those titles, what your role principally is, is helping an individual or a team um, do whatever they do more effectively. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a very personal confines of being an exec coach or a life coach, you're looking at you're looking holistically at an individual and seeing ways in which you can optimize their relationships, their health, their well-being, their productivity, their effectiveness in whatever they do. So they hopefully will get an incremental gain across everything that's going on in their life and become a better professional as a consequence of, of all that stuff. Um, as an innovation coach, I mean, I worked as a performance coach mainly for people in advertising communications for many years. Um, but now as an innovation coach, I'm taking a lot of those principles and implying them to teams of people that are trying to crack some of their business's biggest problems. Mm-hmm. So if I was going to build an analogy around it, it's very much like being a record producer in which you might have a band of musicians and you have to solve those musicians basically and use some technologies such as sound recording to help them make the best music that they can make. But similarly, I could say that I was doing a similar role to a film producer as well. You know, it's my job to make right questions are being asked, the the right resources are being put in place and that there isn't, you know, there isn't an undue amount of ego making bad decisions when more effective decision can be made um so i i I spend most of my days at sky and most of your most in in western hemisphere will know of sky especially because we're owned by comcast so all of continental europe and america will know comcast and you know we make entertainment we broadcast entertainment we make hardware for watching telly and absorbing broadband and there's no end of quite amazing 
things going on at Sky that sometimes are about the ways in which human beings collaborate. Yep. Sometimes they're about ways in which we <coughs> sometimes it's about content. You know, how do we approach content in new ways? Um, and so my role is not so much to become a specialist in anyone else's technology. Yep. My role is to solve the people who are solving the problem or solving the opportunity um, and to try and cast teams of people that are, that are the best place to come up with brilliant, diverse innovation um, ideas that can hit the ground. Nice. And I guess when we first started talking about what we, what I could get from the podcast, it was about how at our busiest time on the film, on a film set and on a film and on a TV drama, we can be very much passing ships in the night for our partners, for our family, for our friends. And we were going to kind of have a quick touch base on what can we do? So, you know, the industry will bounce back. It's going to happen. It will happen. It may be four weeks. It may be eight weeks. It may be however many months. When we are back and when we are busy and we've all got the jab and we're, you know, COVID-19 free, what can we do as film crew to just help our relationships at home with our friends? How can we build stronger relationships with the people that we love? Um, well, I think, you know, I had, you know, I, I know I only look 27, but I'm actually... 25? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just flirting. Um, so, uh, at 44 years, I spent the best part of 20 years actually working very much in the music industry, first mm -hmm. as an artist and in record labels and things like that. But then I have so seen the video of you up on stage. I'm going to need to get the YouTube link for that. It's rock and roll, man. Um, so. <laughs> a lot of time as a manager and um you know i started training to be a coach as well whilst i was a manager and the the reason is that you know the, the work of an artist manager is working with often very young people that are very creative um they're at the very start of their career journey and their life journey actually as adults uh, and are coexisting with weird and wonderful co-conspirators and people from record labels. And of course, there's, you know, sex drugs and all of that kind of stuff too. But actually putting that back a little bit, bit you realise that, you know, this isn't someone getting an apprenticeship in, in a, I don't know, in a, in a car garage or starting their first foot on the ladder in an insurance company. You know, mm -hmm. these are people put in really unusual circumstances for long hours, very intense periods of time. They go away from home for long periods where, they don't eat proper food. They don't keep proper hours. And they're, you know, literally their life is like being on a, uh, on a ship in the middle of a stormy sea the whole mm. time, and they're just trying to grab the guardrails and work out how to keep themselves straight. Um, and so in that zone, you realize that not only are you trying to keep someone healthy, but you're also in a zone where you want to optimize them so that they can do their best work and for me you know some of the I, I worked with a really wide range of clients but I always specialized in quite underground music sources so punk heavy metal um, drum and bass hip-hop I was always drawn to the people that were at the outliers the weird and wonderful people so I worked with Hank Shockley that was one of the founder members of Public Enemy um, wow. I worked with producers that did stuff with Block Party and Snow Patrol and, you know, 
really bands with a lot of um, artistic integrity and you know bashing around trying to bring culture into their mix as well which is another complication keeping those people healthy one thing keeping them optimized to do their best work a whole another thing together and it's often been said that you know artists famously with Santana but the reason Santana broke up originally was you know they've said that they were all taking different drugs <laughs> but there was the psychedelics there was the food yeah. there was yeah. the there was the speed and it made the personalities unable to chemically and emotionally mm. um, go up with each other. Now, if we transpose that to a team of people making a film, we find ourselves in a zone where not only have we got a whole range of people from different age groups and different life stages. So you have people that have been in the film industry for 30 years that have got quite senior jobs. And then you'll have junior people um, that are also usually very young. Um, they will have different uh, opinions about what they do on a daily basis and what professionalism looks like and what good practice looks like. They'd also have different desires for their for their career as to you know how famous they want their work to be. Um, and so, if you've got a team of you know anywhere between five or a hundred people working on a on a film set, you've got all these people that have got their ecosystem of their family and their real personal life, which is kind of in dry dock in their mind often. Mm. And if there's all sorts of weird and wonderful communications going on out of hours about how they manage that, it's kind of in dry dock. You've then got all these people who are on set. And as you know, there'll be different hierarchical opinions about the different departments where one department might be seen as more important than the other. You know, for example, the camera department might be viewed as being more essential than the costume department. And therefore, they get slightly better catering privileges or they get a better hotel or whatever it is. Yeah. All these codes are flying about all the time. And you, everyone's picking them up, you know, from the, the, the person with the least um, uh, abilities with empathy will still be able to pick up all of these codes that are flying around. And what's hilarious about it on a film set as well is it's so transient that you might be working with these people just for literally hours or days, or you might be stuck with them for three months. But at the same time, it's all happening in this microcosm. Like you're a team in a shoebox. And if I lift the lid off, all of this crap is going on. If you're just three people making a documentary in the middle yeah. of the desert in America, or you're a team of 175 making Game of Thrones in the middle of Iceland. You know, all of this stuff's going to be flying about. So um, I think what's really important is, and I have a colleague, actually, uh, my colleague Dino at Sky, who always says this, when we talk about teams of people trying to make decisions um, better, one of the first things that we should always do is remember that most human beings are good people and they're coming essentially from a good place at first mm. but then life gets in the way and they're thrown a whole bunch of obstacles some of them they can handle some of them they just feel overwhelmed or they feel as unreasonable and that is the person who stood in front of you that's juggling all of these things at once and that's their personal life plus all of their professional frustrations and ambitions and wants and needs and the way that people communicate with each other in those sorts of teams is often raw visceral over direct and ladled with all this this sort of emotion of frustration that comes with it too um 
And so I would like one of the things I would say to anyone that's getting on set, like every day, someone's going to get the megaphone. It might be the assistant director, and they're going to call everyone into order first thing in a day. Remember, we're all good people, and we're all trying to do the same thing. Nice. Might do that. Right? Yeah. Just yeah. like, let's fight. we're all trying here to make a film, and we've all mm. got something to do. Let's remember we're all good people and treat each other as much as we can. Just bringing those things into consciousness sometimes means that people can move from what Daniel Kahneman would describe as system one thinking, which is this knee-jerk, immediate response that hasn't had much thought to it, to training their system two thinking, which is a little bit more thought out and thoughtful. How do you do that? Okay, so to go back a step and explain those things a little bit more, um, system one thinking, immediate gut instinct, and it's borrowed from our primal selves, where on the savannah, 50,000 years ago or whatever, if you heard rushing water in your brain, depending on your experience, you'd either think opportunity to drink, opportunity to clean something, or maybe it means there's a flash flood. What's your immediate response going to be? And so your gut instinct is either to run away or run towards, and that's your system one. The other way I'd explain this is that Imagine if I just said to you, anyone watching this right now, would you like a drink? More than likely, the answers would be one of four or five. Yes, no, and if yes, tea, coffee, or water, right? Those would be the immediate responses because it's so hardwired into our culture to drink those three things. Yeah. All the way um, those would be our immediate responses. But what if I said to you, what would you like to drink with your lunch next Wednesday? <laughs> You go, oh. uh, what am I going to be doing next Wednesday? Am I going to be yeah. on the And if so, what catering company are we having? Because they that company always has Dr. Pepper, and I like the Dr. Pepper, and they managed to refrigerate it. I'll probably have a Dr. Pepper. You hear the thought process I've gone through. I bypassed those immediate, immediate gut response mm. things. I actually started really thinking about what the opportunity was. So system one, yes, no, tea, coffee, water, or run towards the water or run away from the water. To system two oh, maybe I could have a Dr. Pepper. And, you know, they usually do pizza on the Wednesdays as well, and I'll have it with a pizza. Or it could be maybe this set of water also means that other humans are here and I might be able to go and see a sanctuary and see food and that kind of thing. So system one, system two thinking. Mm-hmm. So what I'd be encouraging people on set to do, and that, that opening gambit at the start of every day, not just the week or the start of filming, every single day, is encouraging people to take a tenth of a second extra before you speak to someone else and make sure that you're understanding that they're a human being too and they've got obstacles, they've got challenges and just go with that foot first. And it takes some practice because we're all got bad habits, me too, you know, and we regress to the mean often. It's the classic thing you see between people and their parents or brothers and sisters. that It's just one single word like, and you're immediately in yeah. friction, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, classically, I've coached people that have these sort of relationships with their parents. And you have to come up, you have to sort of say to yourself, okay, when I say my mum this time, I'm going to meet her afresh. Hmm. Imagine that I've not ever met her before. And I'm going to ask her questions as though I've never met her before. And I'm going to be generally, genuinely interested in what she has to say rather than going there with this cue of 
biases and prejudices and good behaviors and bad behaviors. So when your mum says something like, I don't know, uh, how's your diet going? You don't immediately trigger. And, Why are you always talking about my weight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. Go, make that, those conversations, give them a tenth of a second more thought than just allowing yourself to regress to the mean and have that, that knee jerk. And I promise you, you'll be happier. Is there something that people can do to say, like, you know, you're a runner, you're predominantly the in the commercials world, the runners kind of on like five, six day weeks. They're, they work longer, they're more tired, then they're spoken to a lot sharper. <clears throat> you know, that, that tenth of the second, is that like a, is there a word that they can say? Someone kind of flies at them and they've got their own shit that they've got going on in their own life. Is there, a, is there like a, the opposite, I'd say, of like a trigger? So not something to trigger that behavior, but something to be like that tenth, instead of kind of thinking tenth of a second, is there a word that they can like just come up for themselves? If someone goes, this tea's the wrong color, they can just go like banana milkshake or something. You know, <laughs> like what, what can you, is there anything like that that they can do? Totally. There's also, and, and people think in different um, ways as well. Like some people are visual thinkers. I'm a very visual thinker. If, you know, I'm talking to my wife about any kind of situation, circumstance about other people or something like that, I need to be able to visualize it in my mm. head. Where are these people standing? What are they doing? What are they wearing? What context are they in? Some people are kinesthetic. That means they think by touch. Okay. I feel, you know, you'll hear people talk about, it doesn't feel right to me. Mm. And they're, they're, also, if you go shopping with them, you'll notice that they pick everything up, even though they're not buying things. Mm. And they'll touch things and whatever. Some people go by their nose. They're olfactory thinkers. So they, you'll hear other people say, oh, that smells, oh, that smell of that because actually their, their nose is a very important decision maker. So if you're interested in changing your own behaviours on that, have a think about the way that you um, think about the world and try and have a vision of um, something that's, that sits in front of you that I don't know where it is, where everyone who comes to speak to you is carrying very important tools that you need to use and you don't know how to use them. I think there's a tendency with people like runners, and I was a runner for 18 months of your life. You're all, you know, the quid pro quo is that you're valueless. Mm. And actually, a half decent runner can be gluing an entire team of people together because yeah. they can go and make stuff happen. When it's going and sourcing a packet of cigarettes in the middle of a, a Salisbury plain, or whether you're getting someone's car fixed for them so that they can make it to the next location um, at the end of the day or making tea or coffee, that person is removing all the tenths of a tenth of a tenth of things that could fail or be caused to be an inefficiency on a day, which can cause a film to sag, which can cause you all to be out of jobs. You know, it'd be great to see a strike one day of runners who just, one, turned up to the set and then no said... No films, that would work. It exactly. just wouldn't work. So imagine that everyone stood in front of you has got very important tools and only they know how to use them and you need them. Okay, so that's that's something in, in some way, shape, or form to do that. But then there's also the ways in which you communicate with people, and there's a, a very simple technique that I teach to people around one-to-one um, -one dialogues. And essentially, what we're always trying to do as human beings is shortcut our communications, and especially this will be rife on a film set. So people are trading very small amounts of information and expecting very precise, immediate bits of feedback. 
mm. uh, on that uh, because the, the, the I guess the shared sense is that we've got limited time we need to get this done brevity is our friend let's not get into too much detail what this means is that we become disconnected as human beings is that when we just view each other as the tool rather than a person that's carrying tools we expect the spanner to do the spanner job and we expect the hammer to do the hammer job why aren't you doing your hammer job i've told you I, I need you to do the hammer job why aren't you doing it because you totally disengage with the fact that that person is a human being they have their own ob obstacles and challenges and they may not be able to deliver this thing right now why don't you instead politely inquire or appreciatively inquire as to what's going on around something and see where someone can deliver what they do so the technique for doing this is using open questions so these are questions which don't have a yes, no, or single word response, mm -hmm. and preferably prefixed with the words how or what. Okay, so there are other openers like why or when or could, um, but they, they, they end up kind of forcing someone into a corner. So if I were to say to you, why are you wearing that shirt today? You'd immediately go, it's one of my shirts. Yeah. yeah. But if I ask you questions that start with the word how or what, I'm asking you around your thinking. And I might have to reframe my question a little bit so it's not so direct to why are you wearing your shirt? Like what's going on with, um, you know, the hotel laundry or something like that. And I'm, I'm kind of seeking to understand your story a little bit more. So when we come to each other to, um, to speak to each other, instead of just directly playing tennis with our function, um, our best bet is to ask some questions around what someone's trying to achieve and make sure that we are linking that with some kind of human exchange and the how and what questions enable you to glue that together. And it's really powerful. Um, it also is, it's a tool where if you're the kind of person that struggles to make um, close human connections with people, and I know you personally, I know you've got natural rapport building skills. Not everyone has that. Mm. Um, but let's say you're on a first date with someone and your date doesn't speak very freely because they're nervous or whatever. If you ask them how and what questions, you will find out their entire life story without you having to add your story to it. So let's say, for example, I asked what your favourite film was and let's just say you said it was Star Wars. I then follow up that answer with another how and what question that's related to your answer. So I say, what's your favorite film? You say Star Wars. I say, what's your favorite episode? You say. Episode 16. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, God, episode four. <clears throat> uh, so that is a new hope. Um, how many times have you seen it? Oh, at least 12 times. <laughs> what's your favorite character? <laughs> the chat with the cloak. I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Would you see? I, I'm, not, yeah, adding, you can see. No, I'm no. not adding data into yeah. this. I'm just asking you about your data. Hmm. Whereas what would usually happen is I go, what's your favourite film? And you say Star Wars Episode 4. And I go, oh, I much prefer Empire Strikes Back. It's much better. Episode 5 is when it all clicked in to go and the stuff that's on Hoth is like really amazing. I, all of a sudden, I've stolen the conversation hmm. and I've taken it over and I'm now making it all about me and not as this opportunity is, an opportunity to find out Susko's relationship with Star Wars and how he thinks about maybe how the production was or that mm. thing. So when you're on set, if you can ask those how and what questions of each other instead of can you or why aren't you or 
anything like that. We can connect more as human beings and understand where our opportunities are to actually get more value out of our relationships too. If I only treat you as a hammer, at best, that's the limit of our relationship. I'm getting hammer response. But if I find out you're also pretty handy with a blade and a screwdriver and all that, all that kind of thing, because I've had good conversations with you, I can then go, oh, it's a uh, multi-tool. Yeah, exactly. And uh, let's face it, the majority of people on a film set have a very, very good awareness of what all the other departments do. Mm. It's absolutely crucial for any professional on a film set to understand the sort of timings and the language that all the other departments are using. And that someone that's got to have, you know, 49 prosthetics added to their head um, is not going to be in makeup for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, so getting lights set up for, you know, five o'clock in the morning um, is not going to be helpful because they're not going to be out of makeup to 11 a.m. So mm. what else can you be doing during that time? And all that understanding is there. So you all know each other, but ask each other more and you'll enjoy it more and you become a better film family for doing it. Nice. And how can we build our personal relationships at home then when we're not... See what I did there? We'll ask the how question. You're welcome. <laughs> um, how can we build our, like, our, our personal relationships with our friends and family when we don't see them and we don't have a chance to speak to them much? Well, similarly, um, this is something I worked with, uh, I, I used with touring musicians a lot, is that um, the last thing your partner at home wants to hear is about the amazing thing that you're doing and how many people you're getting drunk with every night and... <laughs> And they don't care that you've been in a cold field for 17 days and you, you've got trench foot. You're on a film set with some mega superstar or a major brand or something like that. You're doing a privileged job. They don't want to hear that. What they want you to do is say, you know, how's your day? What's going on with the kids? How's that affecting other things? What can I do? How's that? How's the things going on with the rest of the family? You know, they want you to ask them about them. And mm. to show genuine interest in, I mean, a major criticism of most men often in uh, heterosexual relationships anyway is that we don't listen. Huh? We don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So sorry. <laughs> Cheap <Amazing>. jokes. <laughs> but that we don't listen. And so how do you counter that? You counter that by actively um, making new behaviours to make yourself listen. So again, you how and what? with your partner and I'd encourage anyone listening to this podcast when your partner comes home or whatever try this out with them don't tell them you're doing it but um start asking them how and what questions make sure they're open and make sure they're generous and you actually listen to what your partner is telling you and when you speak to your kids what's school like how's that what's going on with them what color are you going to paint it so a great uh, you know a big criticism of parents helicopter parents is they're Constantly What's a helicopter parent. Sorry, helicopter parent is a parent who's constantly hovering over every activity mm. and not letting their child genuinely explore it. Mm. Um, so you're a parent. I'm a parent. Um, there's, uh, you know, there is time when you just need to clean your teeth and get out the door because school starts in seven minutes and you need to get in school. There is a time for that, but that's not all the time. And hopefully, as a parent, you'll also have Sunday mornings when making pancakes it doesn't really matter what the pancake looks like when it comes out or what the kitchen looks like whether it's covered in eggs and flour and all that kind of stuff and making sure that you know the difference between this is time 
for me to get stuff done. Mm. And this is time for me to ex- let my child explore this opportunity. So I've also involved, uh, started an initiative called Token Dad, where I try and help dads become more inclusive managers in teams via conscious play with their kids. Wow. So instead, just, instead of just taking like a Lego kit, so right, we've got the instructions, let's make the kit. How can you encourage your child to explore this opportunity in a way that's going to be of most value for them? And that could be just letting them build anything. Mm. Or it could be just saying, what's on page one? What do we do first? What's that picture showing? What color is it? How should I put that together? You're inviting your child to explore their own world in their own way. And your questions are there to help them sort of see it rather than going, oh, I think we should, that needs to be in red. Because on the picture, it's in red. You're helicopter parenting when you're making them answer it. But again, there are times as a parent where you have to make that decision. Where This is a time where there's a precise activity or task to do. And this is a time where the value is actually in the exploration of what's going on. Sometimes on set, same thing, or with your, 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 just with your partner or your kids or your friends at home, there is an opportunity for you to be precise in the way that you speak to them. If you're talking about, you know, catching up with utility bills because your invoice hasn't been paid and one thing, there's precise communication. Other times it's about being languid and allowing the spotlight for the other person at the other end to talk about their world and for you to inquire into it. Whereas actually I would say, you know, a lot of people when you're on tour, you come to that call, almost like a business call, but you go, oh, I've programmed a Skype call with my wife for 8 p.m. And... uh, uh, I need to get on this call and I will ask her about the day and I will tell her about what's going on with this thing and whatever. And actually you need to go, do you know what? We're going to spend an hour and we're going to kick around some stuff and I'm going to drink a glass of wine whilst I'm on this call as well. And I'm going to tell my wife that that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk shit for an hour yeah. and allow that to happen rather than it feeling like, you know, you're on some phone call about an Amazon delivery. And you're just TikToking to get an answer at the end of it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's my advice. When you're nice. Skyping home, FaceTiming or whatever, program time to just have nonsense chit chat. Nice. I have a series right. of questions I've developed for this kind of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can we do? Uh, can we? Can we? Can we get them from you? I, I like asking questions like. Uh, what's the biggest sliding door you never took? Okay. Or um, what are the top three lies you're telling to yourself at the moment? Wow, big. Is this the kind of chat you have the wife at eight o'clock with a glass of wine when she's trying <laughs> to watch the telly? You're like, what three big lies? Are you? Who was your best friend when you were eight? Okay. J- these are questions that just... You, you're disrupting the rails. You know, I was talking about these relationships where you end up with the same sort of responses from everyone. Mm. And you disrupt your rails from that usual stuff where you know what the outcomes are going to be. Mm. And you take formal responsibility for disrupting it into a new point. And that could even be like, if we were to buy the house over the road, what would we do with it? Or what would you do if you won the lottery? And these are the kinds of questions that can really get lost when you're on the road with your mm. partner. And those are the things that take you three weeks to three weeks to rebuild when you get home, mm. when you stopped all the tension about whether or not you're going to do the chores and what it's like being back in Sainsbury's when you were stood in the desert three weeks ago. Um, 
you, you, the reconnection comes to these points when you realise that you love the way that your partner thinks about mm. stuff like that. But it's really yeah, that 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 process of some described it as like just becoming human again, because yeah. you know, these people are, and especially as assistant directors who, or directors or you know anyone that's got the pressure. You know, not that not that runners and other departments don't, but once you start getting higher up the chain and you get that that pressure, that kind of coming back to reality can it can be tough for people just to kind of you know pull the pin out and just yeah. become dad, become husband, go to Sainsbury's and get the milk, and don't forget the bread. Yeah, and again, I think this is a it's a it's a point in which you you sort of dealing with the activities involved in a very kind of didactic and practical way. I'm at home, I'm now, you know, dad, partner, whereas actually it's much more emotional than that. And that's a, wow, I didn't leave that pile of washing there. I have no relationship with that pile of washing that was generated over the last week by my wife and my children or whatever. And the dog's eaten the, the, the toy that was here before and now it's a new toy. And I don't know how he plays with that toy. And I don't know what's in the fridge and I don't have responsibility for it. And it's a tension point for me and my wife if I say, have we got any yogurts in? And there aren't, you know. And so you're dealing with these really practical things, but it's actually an emotional response that you're getting. You don't feel as attached to your own home and your own belongings and your own family as you did on the day that you left. And the way that you reattach those things is by undertaking those those questions and those activities that allow you to explore something together. How um, what? How and what questions? How and what questions? And do stupid stuff together. Paint pictures you know, make a cake with no recipe, um, explore this stuff together, mm. knowing that the end outcome doesn't have to be something perfect or something practical. It can just be a glorified mess, but you did it together and then you realise that you love the way that each other thinks and that makes jokes about stuff and whatever. You've created that opportunity, that optimization, rather than the other optimization, which is just, okay, we're back in the same living room where are you with the uh, Homelands box set? You know, I'm on episode 79. Yeah. Oh, I'm only on 67. You can't watch anymore. You have to let me catch up. And there's all those other disparities, right? Mm. Watch a new TV show together. Watch a new film, you know. Nice. Yeah. Well, look, I know you're a very busy man and, and you've given me loads of your time. Any last little final kind of, I was going to say nuggets of... of of human intelligence, uh, you know, that what to be just better people, to be better, you know, in, in a what could become a lockdown and communities, maybe just a broader be good to human beings. Is there like yep. a little final thought that you've got there just to? Yeah, do you want me to teach you a little, a little technique? Yeah, go, let's do it. <clears throat> it's a uh, taken from Sanskrit, so it's essentially Hindu culture. Mm-hmm. and um, something called the Gunas, which you can Wikipedia. It's G-U-N-A-S, the Gunas. And I'm going to give a really, really rough overview of this so anyone that knows the Gunas or studies them will sort of go, oh, that's a bit... Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. The Gunas are a handy triangle, okay? Handy triangle. Yep. Um, three points. So I guess anyone that's... this For the audio, you're kind of doing like the Illuminati... Thumbs yes. together, fingers at the top, two yeah. triangles in a... Down love heart. Yeah. yeah. So the top of the pyramid. Top of the pyramid. Let me just say, the, the aim of the gunas is to become conscious of your own mental state. Yeah. 
okay. around any subject item opportunity that exists okay so the three main states that gunas talk about are sattva which is like a nirvana state like a togetherness with the world and mother earth and everything so it's quite euphoric and, and high mind rajas which is very practical and motivated in a productive state like it's how we are on a wednesday at 11 a.m you know we're getting stuff done and we know who we are and then there's tamas which is how we feel at 5 a.m on an alarm call in February on a Monday morning, which is just complete depression and disengagement. And the idea is with the Gunas that if you, you take anything, like for example, let me take my mug, okay? And I'm thinking about my mug. If I'm thinking about this from a state of sattva, which is the sort of nirvana, together, so I go, this is incredible that our brittle, frail human beings have come to this point where we can create this super elegant thing that's actually low priced and you know keeps my drink hot for long periods of time it's amazing it's hygienic from rajas i go the productive state i can say well this is great we can mechanize we can make things that are disposable i could throw this across the room and apart from having to clean up the mess no big deal no big cost this is easy to replace and i've got another six of them in the cupboard it's all fine from tamas i say look at humanity Look at what we've become, disposable culture, making these things so cheaply and so disposable. We should be tre treasuring the things that we use. And so I found three different points of view. So at any given time, I can view anything from those points. And COVID-19 is one of those things too. You know, it's, it's probably controversial to say, but from a Nirvana state, I can say, well, this is Mother Earth kind of having its own bushfire. Mm. You know, humanity, we're overwhelming the planet. You know, the prophet Greta Thunberg has been sent to us to tell us that we're about to kill Mother Earth. Maybe COVID-19 was sent to us for us to have a bushfire. And though that might mean horrendous news for people's businesses and their families and things like that, the stuff that fails might be the stuff that we needed to rethink. Mm. Okay? That's the Nirvana state. The Raja state is, okay, I'm working from home. I'm getting stuff done. I'm not as productive as I was, but I'm getting stuff done. And this is an opportunity for me to do some reading, to do some research, to invest in my loved ones, to invest in my health and my nutrition, to get a few things underlined, maybe even decorate a couple of rooms in my house before, you know, the DIY stores get shut down. I can use this, this period. It might just be one month of Sundays, but in that month of Sundays, I could get half the house decorated and get myself straight on a few tax issues or whatever. Tamas, which is where most of the media and most of us sort of we regress to, is doom, gloom, everybody's going to get ill, everybody's going to die, businesses are over, all that sort of stuff. So mm. anytime we catch ourselves <clears throat> existing in any one of these states, it's our responsibility to go check out the other two points on the triangle. Is there right. a middle ground, like on that triangle, mm. is, is it like a you're always trying to be in the middle of that triangle or is it just that you are naturally somewhere between one of those three points or you're at one of those three you points? You hold on to any of them with, with your, your fists clenched because you end up in double jeopardy if you mm. hang on to any of those things. If you constantly keep yourself in the depressive zone, guess what? You won't climb out of the hole. Mm. You will usually become what you fear. So we probably are all going to get ill in the next year to 18 months. So kidding yourself that hiding in your house right now is going to prevent you ever getting ill. 
is not correct. You are going to get ill. We're just trying to measure out speed at which people get ill so there's not the things. Don't hold yourself in tamas. The Rajas side of it, oh, we're, like I've just said, we're all going to get ill, blah, 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 blah. Holding on to that and being too, you know, sort of efficient about it, it's not going to draw human beings towards you. You know, talking about this is nature's bushfire in a productive way, you know, it's going to say, whoa, uh, that's... Uh, bit dark there Cheech can you uh, reel that back in <laughs> similarly the Nirvana state like I'm going to go and do absolutely everything I want to do uh, because you know this what will be what will be complete fatalist is the wrong thing to so don't handle uh, hang on to any particular state just be conscious of the fact that you're on one point and if it's a state that's enjoyable just allow that to come and go just let it pass um and uh, same for the complete depression. There's going to be points that we all feel depressed, um, locked in our homes. We might also have to be dealing with grief if we lose loved ones or mm. loss of job or industry. That kind of, There are going to be points we have grief, but try not to hang on to it. That emotion is not going to define you. Um, it's not going to define anything. Good man. Right. Well, look, if you've loved what you've heard today, ladies and gents, uh, the website breathe forward slash labs dot com no dash labs dot com hyphen labs yeah hyphen labs um, and just hyphen keep it, yeah I'll put a link in the in the bio of the chat and stuff so but look thanks man you know that's it's just been great because actually I was kind of getting into that dark yeah. depressive you know before we before I started hitting record I'm like you know dark yeah. depressive and actually now I'm kind of looking at my room full of toilet roll that I've hoarded, you know. Because <laughs> I'm running out. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, set, I'll put them on my eBay page. Um, but, yes, thank you for your time. Um, love to the family. Stay safe. Thank you very much. And I uh, really appreciate it. Take care, brother. Right, until, ladies and gents, until we meet again, that is a wrap. Bye. Bye. Right, dude. Thank you, man. That's really like that was really really thankful. I kind of did the, the goodbyes for the podcast, but yeah. just me and you now, just like thank you because that's really that's been like super helpful for me personally, and I'm hoping that the 170 thousand people that are going through some shit, hopefully it gives them something to fucking. Well, know. I don't know if you have any, uh, you know, if there's a way of doing this, but by all means, like ask. Is there anything you'd like to ask Tim if he comes back? So yeah, I'd be happy come back and do another one you know like in three months time whenever it is just yeah. to say if, there, if we had tim back what would you ask him right get some how and what questions for how me and and what the, yeah so hope that if that's activated some behaviors and stuff like that that people are thinking about and they want to ask me more about it then we could make another episode big love right. five to twelve it gives you enough time to finish your tea and have a pee nice one, right. mate. right well look big love love to the family yeah like see Thanks, you man. man take care ah. Bye. So that was a chat with the king or queen In the game I give it a shout at the end So you all know the name It's the Film Gods Podcast The what? The Film God Podcast For today's episode, I'd like to highlight the work of a fantastic industry charity. The film and TV charity supports people in the UK film and TV industry at every stage of their career and beyond. From their important work on mental health, which led to the creation of the Whole Picture Programme, 
and their help for crew being affected by COVID-19. If you, a member of your family or a friend who works in the industry, needs help or someone to talk to, please go to filmtvcharity.org.uk.